This evening we're going to continue with our series on Romans. We're going to be looking at loving thy neighbour. Love thy neighbour. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through to 14. Let's just have a look at those verses. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is fast spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armour of light. Let us walk honestly, as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfil the lust thereof. In Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, we looked at that last week, and it was seen that we are to be subject to our rulers who are ordained by God and the powers that they possess to execute wrath upon the evildoers. Those powers come from God. In verses 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul points out that since God has appointed the higher powers uh, for the good of society, it is incumbent upon us to pay our taxes, tribute, duties to those uh, higher powers, our rulers. Today, amongst other things, we shall see that the duty to pay that which is owed is broadened to include payment not only to the higher powers, but to all people. Looking again there at verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another have fulfilled the law. To to owe no man anything does not mean that loans cannot be taken out and repaid according to agreed terms. You are allowed to take out a loan. When Paul says, owe no man anything, that can be seen as a warning against taking out a loan and then defaulting on the payments. Depending on the circumstances, if you were to do that, it may well be a violation of the Eighth Commandment, where the Lord says, thou shalt not steal. To owe no man anything includes setting your affairs in order before you die, provided, of course, that death doesn't take you by surprise. If you get run over by a bus tomorrow, then you're hardly expected to set your affairs in order. Setting your affairs in order includes paying those whom to whom you owe money, that is, to your creditors. Apparently, before Archbishop Cranmer was burnt at the stake by order of Queen Mary I, he took express order for the payment of all his debts, 
which when it was done, a most joyful man was he. A most joyful man, even though he was going to be burnt at the stake. He was a most joyful man that having set his affairs in order with men, he might consecrate himself more freely to God. You've heard it, setting affairs affairs in order, well, there's, there, there you can see what it is. Get all your money, uh, the, the, your, the people that you owe money to, you can sort those things out. However, as I've just said, owe no man anything does not mean that loans cannot be taken out and then repaid according to agreed terms. It's not always wrong to lend and therefore to borrow. For example, it can be seen in the Old Testament that lending money to fellow Israelites who were poor was lawful and no interest was to be levied on the repayments. As the Lord said in Exodus chapter 22 and verse 25, If thou lend money to any of my people that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be to him as a usurer, neither shalt thou lay upon him usury. Usury is interest. If lending money was lawful back then, so too would borrowing money have been lawful. And in the New Testament, in Matthew's Gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ said in chapter 5 and verse 42, Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Not only does Paul say, Owe no man anything, he also says in verse 8, But to love one another, for he that loveth another have fulfilled the law, which would include, well, we'll see, the Ten Commandments. Owe no man anything but to love one another can also be translated, and it's perhaps more helpful if it's translated as, be owing no one anything except to be loving each other. Therefore, what Paul is saying is that loving one another is a continuing debt that can never be paid by any of us. Before any of you runs away with a vain, fanciful and erroneous, extremely erroneous notion that actually you do fulfil that duty of love towards others and therefore you are not indebted um, to that duty, well consider verses 9 and 10. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. The Ten Commandments consist of duties of love towards God in the first four commandments, our duty towards God, followed by duties of love towards one another in the remaining six commandments. So, Ten Commandments, what are they all about? Love. Our duty to love God, our duty to love one another. 
and more broadly to love our neighbour as ourselves. The Ten Commandments are all about love. You need to realise that and they can be summarised by two greater commandments. The first of which is to love God with your whole being. And the second of those two great commandments is to love your neighbour as yourself. And as we can see, that is precisely what Jesus said to a lawyer who came to him to test him and to try to make him stumble over points of the law. As it is written in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 to 40, but when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus says very clearly in those words, not just the law, but the law and the prophets. In other words, the whole of the Old Testament scriptures hang on those two great commandments of love towards God and towards your neighbour. They are of equal importance, those two great commandments. Don't think that the loving God is up here somewhere and then loving your neighbour is down there somewhere. They're of equal importance in that all of the commandments are given by who? Given by God. That makes them all equally important. The first four commandments relating to our duty to love God and the remaining six which relate to our duty to love one another. Compliance with the first four of those Ten Commandments or if you like, compliance with that great commandment, uh, the first of the two great commandments which relate to our duty to love God with your heart, with your soul, with your whole being is evidence in your obedience to the other six commandments. The, the, the duty of love to one another. As the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? So therefore, if you, you say, well, I love God with my whole being, I just can't stand people, uh, it doesn't add up. How can you love God whom you haven't seen when you don't love your your, your neighbour who you have seen and who is made in the image of God? And how can you comply with the first four commandments about your duty of love towards God when you just when the remaining six commandments you fail miserably at? Again, it doesn't add up. So you, you, your, your love for God is evidenced in your love for your neighbour. 
coming back to anyone who still imagines that he has fulfilled the law to love one another and more broadly to love your neighbour as yourself, we'll see if that really is the case. Because we can all say this, and this comes back to what I was saying earlier on about those who say that the Ten Commandments have no value now. They've been abrogated. We've got the two greater commandments to love God with our whole being and the second of those two great commandments, love your neighbour as yourself. We don't actually need the Ten Commandments anymore. They're finished. But even as I was reading this to you tonight, where was it now? Yeah, look at verse 9 again. I'm going to just jump in towards the end of it. Thou shalt not covered, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended by by this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. So all those commandments of God are briefly understood in the great greater commandment, one of the two great commandments, to love your neighbour as yourself. But again, you say, well, I do love my neighbour as myself and I do love God with my whole being. And I'm standing here thinking, we'll soon see about that. Let's see. We'll see if that really is the case. Let's have a look at verse 9 now. Verse 9, you probably notice Paul is is quoting the Ten Commandments there. In fact, he's quoting from the, 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 the last six, our duty of love towards our neighbour. That's, that's what we see there in verse 9. And now this is for anyone in here who imagines that they really do love their neighbour as their self. Let's see now. Okay, verse 9. For this thou shalt not commit adultery. You, you might well say, well, I've never committed adultery. I don't do that sort of thing. Well, then you need to read what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you're guilty of adultery. There aren't too many people, not too many men, who have never committed adultery. And I don't know, maybe that applies with women as well. I don't really know. But the point is, what Jesus is really getting across to us here is the act of adultery is committed in the heart You don't have to put flesh on it. It's what's going on in your heart when you look at someone. Is there lust in your eyes and and in your heart? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. I've never killed anyone, you may say. Well, maybe not. Maybe you've never actually stuck a knife in somebody. But maybe you've had a rage in your heart sometimes that that rage is is really quite scary and in a, and in a sense you've actually committed murder in your heart you don't have to you don't have to stick a knife in someone or you don't have to pull the trigger to be guilty of murder it's what's going on in your heart your feelings whether you're angry with someone without good reason An unrighteous anger. Thou shalt not steal. Well, I don't steal. Well, really, I think probably everyone has stolen at some point in their life. Stolen something. Even if they've stolen a bit of stationery at the office, the odd pencil or pen, or maybe they've used the phone 
um, at, at work, they've used the boss's phone for a private phone call, or maybe they've um, done a bit of social media at, at work when they should have been getting on with their work. So they're getting paid by their boss for messing around on Facebook or something. Thou shalt not steal. It comes under that heading. But we're all guilty anyway. I don't believe there's anyone who hasn't stolen. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Ever told a lie? If you say you've never told a lie, well, you're a liar, aren't you? We've all told lies. Some more than others. What else do we have there? We, thou shalt not covet. That means longing to possess something. Longing to possess something that someone else has got. An unreasonable desire to have something. And that's a, that is a, that really is a sin of the heart, that one. Uh, it's not something that you put flesh on. The, the coveting is in the heart, by definition. And you may covet what other people have. Oh, it's not fair that he's got that and I haven't. Or oh, I really wish I had that. And it's an it's a over-the-top desire to have something. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in the saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. That is the great the second of the two great commandments. But can you see, those of you who may have this fanciful idea that you actually do love your neighbour as yourself, you don't. Once you start unpicking that great commandment, when you look at the the Ten Commandments, you realise, well, I fell miserably there. And if you fail miserably to love your neighbour as yourself, then, as I've already said, you do not love God with your whole being. It doesn't make sense. One leads to the other. You've got to have a love for your neighbour in order to truly love God. As Paul said, uh, sorry, John, uh, yeah, John said again, the Apostle John, if a man say, I love God and hate of his brother, he is a liar, for he that loveth not his brother whom he have seen, how can he love God whom he have not seen? So it follows that as well as not loving our neighbour as ourselves, I think you can see that very clearly. We all fail to love our neighbour as ourselves. Just go through verse 9 again. Um, It follows that we do not love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. There are Christians who, Christians, godly Christians maybe, don't know, who will, who will claim to love God with all their heart, their mind, their soul. And I, I'm thinking, you don't. You really don't. You don't know your own heart. Bit of naivety there. There are a lot of Christians even, genuine born-again Christians, who don't really understand just how deceitful the heart is. Let's move on to verse um, Verse 11. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. If you're a Christian, you are no doubt very familiar with the truth that you have been saved from your sins. 
you have been saved. Talking about the past tense. When you first believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you first became a Christian. Whenever that was. How many years ago? Past tense. However, salvation from sin can also be seen in the present tense. As something that is now happening. Even now. And it can also be seen in the future tense as something that will most assuredly happen in the future. For example, when it comes to salvation in the past tense, it is written in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith. That's speaking of past tense. And by the way, when you read that, for by grace are ye saved through faith, When you read that, don't imagine that God was just waiting and hoping for you to believe so that he could then save you. And the moment you believe, right, that's it, I'm going to save that person now. Not at all. In fact, when you first believed, when you were, by the grace of God, saved by faith or through faith, that belief or that faith was graciously given to you by God. God gave you the faith. Furthermore, God chose you before the foundation of the world to be saved. Therefore, when it comes to salvation from sin, you can trace it back not only to when you first trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, but also you can trace it back to before the foundation of the world, when God chose you for salvation. Surely that has to be as past as past can be, the, before the foundation of the world, you were, in a sense, saved when God chose you for salvation, dear Christian. Then there's Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, where Paul says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Where Paul says, work out your own salvation, he's referring to what? It's the present tense, it's now. Work out your own salvation. You, dear Christian, having already been saved by God through a God-given faith, whenever it was, are to work out your own salvation, not in your own strength, but with God's enabling grace. For it is God who is working in you, to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's an ongoing thing, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Working out your own salvation includes all that we have been looking at in chapters 12 and 13 concerning having a love for God, for fellow Christians, for your enemies, for your neighbour and even for the higher powers, even for our rulers who are ordained of God. We're to love them. Coming back to Romans chapter 13 and verse 11 and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. In that verse, Paul is clearly talking about a future salvation. For all who have been saved by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and all who are now subsequently um, working out their own salvation with fear and with trembling. He's now 
He's, he's speaking about a future salvation in verse 11. Dear Christian, the prospect of leaving this world of sin and entering into a state of sinless glory and heavenly bliss ought to have a tremendous effect upon each one of you, making you think less of this present world and more of the world that you will inherit and you will inhabit by the grace of God that saved you, the grace of God that keeps you and the grace of God that will take you home to be with him. Past, present, future again. Let's have a look at verses 12 through to 14. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armour of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfil the lusts thereof. In verse 12 there, the night refers to this present world of sin and degradation, whereas the day that is at hand refers to the heavenly age that is to come, the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. The Lord Jesus Christ will most certainly usher in the day that is at hand when he comes again. You need have no doubt about that whatsoever, The day is at hand. Jesus is coming again. We don't know when it will happen. Even so, he's redeemed. Hasten that day. And they say, come, Lord Jesus. When by the grace of God, you became a Christian, you were clothed in Christ and his righteousness. Past tense again. In Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10, the prophet said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. However, What's in view here in verse 14, look at verse 14 again, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfil the lust thereof. What's in view there is a daily putting on of Christ. You who are already clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and in garments of salvation, put on Christ daily and that will be evidenced in holy conduct, holy conversation, rather than in sinful lusts that are listed in verse 13. Dear Christian, cast off the works of darkness, put on the armour of light. In other words, instead of being clothed in sin, cover yourself with Jesus, who is the light of the world. As has already been said, you already are covered with his righteousness. And now you are to arm yourself with your Saviour each and every day as you prayerfully read the scriptures and draw on his enabling grace to walk honestly, 
not in rioting and drunkenness, that is, not taking part in wild parties and getting drunk, not in chambering and wantonness, that is, not engaging in sexual promiscuity and immoral living, and not in strife and envying, which means not in quarrelling and jealousy. It is so completely reasonable to expect a born-again Christian to put on Christ daily, put on Christ daily, and not to make provision for the flesh to fulfil the lusts of the flesh. That in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. He's speaking to, to Christians here. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, that's referring to homosexuals there, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Don't kid yourselves that you, if you're engaged in those things, that you will inherit the kingdom of God. Last of all, earlier on I said that none of us loves the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and we saw that to be the case just by looking at some of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even look at all of them. Some of the Ten Commandments are in verse 9, the ones that pertain uh, to our duty of love to one another. Just from looking at them, we could see that we do not love our neighbour as ourselves, and therefore we do not love God with our whole being. But there is one person, there is one person who has fulfilled the law and the prophets. There is one sinlessly perfect person who has kept God's laws of love. And his name is Jesus. Only one person has ever done it, the Lord Jesus Christ. A Christian is someone who has acknowledged his sins. That is, his failure to love his neighbour as himself. Furthermore, he is only too painfully aware that he has not and does not, even as a Christian, he does not love God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind. If you still think you do, how long do you spend looking at um, pursuing your hobbies and compare that with how long you spend reading your Bible? Simple little test there. How long do you spend talking to each other and how long do you spend in prayer to God? And this is a thing, that this is a distinctive about the Christian. A Christian is someone who has recognised, well, I don't love my neighbours myself. I know I don't. And I don't love God, my maker, as I ought to. I'm guilty. Even so, the Christian stands before God, holy and without blame accepted in the beloved Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has fulfilled the law's demands on his behalf. And that person has been redeemed and forgiven all his sins by the blood and sacrificial death of Jesus. He stands before God 
raised up to newness of life, everlasting life in Christ Jesus, his Saviour and his Lord. He is a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. With his heart filled with gratitude towards God and with the love of God poured out into his heart by the Holy Spirit who works in him to will and to do of God's good pleasure. He doesn't succeed, he never does succeed in this lifetime, but he earnestly desires to fulfil his duty to God, as can be seen in chapter 12 and verse 1, the Christian, Paul beseeches Christians in chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, your act of worship. He does at least desire to do this, God enabling him. And then there are his wider duties towards fellow Christians and even towards his enemies as we've been studying in chapter 12. Not forgetting his subjection to the higher powers or rulers as seen in chapter 13 verses 1 through to 7. And putting all that together, he earnestly desires and earnestly seeks the enabling grace of God to love the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, to love his neighbour as himself. This must be your prayer as a Christian. But above all else, the Christian continues to trust in his Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has fulfilled the law's demands. Jesus, the one who became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Trust in Jesus as a repentant sinner and may the love of God fill you to overflowing for a love for God and for one another. Amen.